I want to talk to you real quick about the series that we're in, which is called Brainstorm. Uh, specifically, according to the secondary text, overcoming the fight that is in our mind. Did you know, and you do know, that the most everything that has created problems in our life started between our ears. True. Started in our brain. Our Thoughts turned into action, our action turned into sin, or turned into confusion, or turned into whatever it turned into, and then ultimately that sin, because of that confusion, because of that fight that happens in our brain, will ultimately lead to death if we don't seize a hold of it and grab control of it in the name and the power of Jesus. Amen? And so we're talking about how to stop the fight in our head before it becomes a fight with our body and ultimately ends up being a fight that we fight for the rest of our lives. There's a bunch of books out there about this subject. One of the ones that are I'm most familiar with is Battlefield of the Mind. You guys have probably heard of such a book. But it spends time talking about the battlefield. I don't want to talk to you about the battlefield. I want to talk to you about the God that you serve that made you victorious in the battlefield. Yes. Thank you, Amen? Thank because I don't care that the battle exists. I care that I serve a God that has defeated the battle that did exist. Amen. And how I can have the confidence to know that I am victorious because he has been victorious in that battlefield. And so that's where we're focusing our time. We started last week with fight the, the right fight and what it takes to fight the right fight. We have to fight with an understanding that we are to stand in the victory that's already been had. We don't fight from victory or for victory. We fight from victory. I don't know what that was. Oh. Did it fall down? Oh, okay. As long as it's all right. So we fight. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. <laughs> we fight from victory, not for victory. So we have to understand that first. But God in the battlefield, he has already won 
that he's currently winning. <laughs> Every now and then something crazy happens and we have to armor up in that battlefield. And one of the things that we need to do while armored up is be people of prayer consistently. And that's what we talked about last week. This week I want to talk to you about God in the confusion. I'm going to ask, by show of hands, how many of you right now have something going on in your life that has caused some confusion in your life? You don't know why it's happening. You just wish it would go away. And you don't see any future where this problem doesn't currently exist. Can I tell you, God is in that craziness. That's true. And because God's in that craziness, I can be confident. There's some things that I can be because of the fact that God is in that confusion. But here's the thing. The Bible tells us specifically in Paul's letter to the Corinthians that God is not the author of confusion. Right? Is that what it says? That's not all that it says. But that's the only piece of it that we use to justify why our world is okay or why our crazy world is okay and we're not going to do anything about it. We're all, God's not the author of confusion. This must be of the enemy. But that's not what the Word says. The Word says this in its complete contextualization. It says, God isn't the author of confusion, but of peace. What? What difference does that make? The difference that makes is that God doesn't author confusion. He authors peace. But if he has to use confusion to get you to that place of peace, you can bet he will. You know, wait a minute. That goes against my old school theology. That's not what my preacher from the 60s told me. I don't care what your preacher from the 60s told you or what maybe somebody told you this morning. God may bring confusion into your life or allow confusion into your life so that you can be an overcomer because he is an overcomer so that you can prosper in that confusion. Amen? Everybody all right with that? I wouldn't talk about this if it didn't need to be talked about because so many of us struggle in what we think is confusion when in fact it's purification. God uses confusion in our life to purify us, to create perseverance, and in our perseverance, to perfect us. Amen? And so, with that in mind, let me talk to you about this confusion we find in Second Chronicles, chapter 20. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I am going to summarize verses 1 through 13. In verse 1, it says like this. It says, Now it came about after this that the sons of Moab, the sons of Ammon, together with the some of the Meunites, came to war against Jehoshaphat. That's a big way of saying three armies, all of significant size, came against Jehoshaphat, who was the king of Judah. Three significant armies got together and said, we're going to go destroy Judah. 
And Judah didn't find out about it. Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat didn't find out about it until they were almost upon him. You think there was some confusion in his life? You think there was some frustration? Like, oh my gosh, how has this happened? God has promised to take care of us. And in fact, he, he brings him to some of those remembrances. He said, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? Haven't you given us this land and now you're going to let these people take it from us? I'm confused. Are you a God of your promise or are you not a God of your promise? And he calls a fast, a nationwide fast, which means that they got together, they decided they weren't going to eat for a while and they were going to pray to the Lord. They were going to come before the Lord to have these questions answered, to expect God's provision in their life. Why? Because there was confusion in the, in the nation of Judah. I've, I've felt this way. Didn't you tell me that you were going to watch after me? Didn't you tell me that you would provide for me? Didn't you tell me that you would protect me? Didn't you tell me that you'd watch over my family? Didn't you tell me whatever? Didn't you tell me whatever? Did, and all of us have our own question. Didn't you tell me something that you haven't seen yet? And so we go to God confused as to why we haven't seen it. But let me tell you something. Inside of that confusion is a Romans 8.28 promise. There's a promise that says this. And we know, everybody says we know, that God causes all things. How many things? All things. Even the confusing things. Even the things that cause us frustration. To work together for good. For those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. So the only questions you should be asking isn't you said you'd do this, why haven't you? It should be, do I love God? And has he called me by Christ Jesus to himself? Because if the answer to those two things are right, then there shouldn't be any confusion in you. Because the promise is that all things will work out for our good. Everybody okay? Listen, I'm not talking theoretical. I'm talking to you from practical experience. I have had situations in my life didn't make any sense. But God worked it out. You know why? Because I love him. And because he's called me to himself through Christ Jesus to accomplish his purpose. And he's done the same thing for you. So rest in that. That the confusion is intended for a purpose. The confusion in your life, and I'm repeating, is for a purpose. Even if you don't know what that purpose is yet. There's four things identified in this text. as to why confusion is brought into our life. The first one is confusion brings confidence. Verses 14 through 17 reads like this. In the midst of the assembly, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of, the son of, the son of, the son of, the Levite of the sons of. I could 
pronounce all those. I actually went and looked up how to pronounce those things, but all you need to know is Yahaziel, the prophet, said, listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. He's not excluding anybody from his covenant. All the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem are under his covenant. That's who he's talking to. He's saying, listen, you that belong to me, which means it's relevant to you because you've been grafted in as a wild vine to the cultivated vine. So he's talking to his people. He said, in the midst of the assembly, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel and he said, listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Israel and King Jehoshaphat, Thus says the Lord to you, do not fear or be dismayed. Dismayed means depressed or downtrodden. Because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. He's given them instruction. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley in front of the wilderness of Jerael. Verse 17, you need not fight in this battle. Station yourself. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out to face them, for the Lord is with you. Boy, that's good. Confusion in your life is intended to bring you confidence in regard to the God that you serve. Listen to what this prophet says. He says, you need not fight. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord. Do not fear or be dismayed, for the Lord is with you. Can I tell you the word of God is absolute, objectively true, without error and with authority? That's important. You know why? Because if that's true, then everything written in the Word of God has to be true. But you're all, Pastor Jim, that's circular thinking. That's circular reasoning. The Bible is true because you said it's true, so it must be true. But I haven't really proven anything to you, right? That's like saying, Pastor Jim is the best pastor in Lebanon because he's the best pastor in Lebanon. There's no proof. But there is proof that what I've said of the word of God is true. There are medical proofs that show that God wrote down things in regard to medicine that we didn't know until the last couple of hundred years. There's stuff astrologically that we didn't know until the last couple hundred years. The Bible itself was written by 40 authors over 1,500 years before email, before mass communication, before television, many of these people never haven't seen one another or talked to one another before. Over 1,500 years, in 66 books, with over 6,000 points of cross-reference. That means 6,000 times you can cross-reference pieces of one scripture with a piece of another scripture, and it makes absolute sense. And all of it written with one message. And that message is God's redemptive plan for us through his son, Christ Jesus. Let me tell you, that proves, a couple, that proves one thing. 
that proves that the word of God is objectively true, without error, and authoritative. And we should listen to it. You're all, Pastor Jim, you're going on a tirade about the word of God. I thought you were talking about confidence. It's exactly right. You know what? Without the word of God, I can have no confidence. That's right. Because this is where my truth comes from. Because God said it, I can believe it. Bible says in Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. He has said it. Will he not do it? That's a good question. Next time you read your Bible and you're saying, you're seeing something in there and you know that that's applicable to you and you haven't seen it yet, ask yourself, well, God said it. Can he not do it? And then stand in faith that he can do it. Or has he spoken? And will he not make it good? Absolutely, he can and he will. Amen? Now that we've determined that it's authoritative, that it is absolutely true, let me ask you this question. If you knew that God was your strength, that God would protect you, and if you knew he was faithful, what would you fear? That's a question. That's a question. Nothing. Thank you. Somebody say nothing. If I know that God is capable in his strength, his protection, and his faithfulness, then what do I have to fear? Nothing. And that's exactly what the word of God says. His strength is proven in his word, according to Psalms 46.1. God is our refuge and strength. A very, listen to this, best, this last part is the best part, I think. A very present help in trouble. He is present, very present in your trouble. He's not observing you from some distance away. He's not taking a higher approach or transcendent view of you. He is omnipresent. He is right here, right now. You think he doesn't know the fight that you're in? Absolutely he knows the fight that you're in and because he knows the fight that you're in and he has the strength to overcome the fight that you're in, we can trust that because we love him and have been called according to our purpose that he will fight for us. His protection is proven in his word. Psalm 34, 7, the angel of the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. His faithfulness is proven in his word. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 kind of speaks to all of these things. But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. That's the authoritative word of God. The absolute true word of God over the believer. Guys, your confusion is intended to bring you to a realization of how awesome your God is. Because you're confused because you haven't been able to solve the problem that you have. But let me tell you, there's a God capable of solving the problem that you have and desires to solve the problem that you have. All of these things come together in the only verse that my pastor highlighted when he gave me this Bible on the day that he ordained me. And it's Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, 
for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Ain't that good? You confused? No. That your confusion is intended to bring you confidence that God is with you, that he strengthens you, that he's your God, and that he holds you in his righteous right hand, which is to say he holds you above the situation in your life. But it says, stand and see the salvation of the Lord. All of these promises are true over us, but our salvation in the Lord is found in Christ Jesus. I have confidence in the fight that I'm fighting in my head before it becomes a fight that I'm fighting with my feet or with my hands because I'm confident that my salvation is of the Lord and I shall stand in it. Amen? That is Jesus. Jesus atoned for me. This is what the Bible says, Romans 5, 24. Being justified. That means having all my charges stripped away as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation, which means appeasement in his blood through faith. It's a lot of big words. Let me tell you what that means. It means you were judged, but God sent Jesus to die for you, to atone for you, to redeem you and buy you back from the enemy that you sold yourself to. And he did it, not because you're awesome, but because he's full of mercy and he's full of grace. He did it to be our propitiation. That's a huge word. It just means to appease. To appease his judgment and to appease his wrath. Do you know there's no wrath for you if you belong to Christ Jesus? That's the word of God. you know how I stand and see the salvation of the Lord in Christ Jesus? Knowing that Jesus took my place in punishment the judgment that I deserve, shed his own blood so that I might be atoned for and absorbed the absolute perfect, which is what God is in everything, wrath of God. And now I belong to him no longer, according to the word, in enmity with him. I am no longer his enemy, but his family. Why did God bring confusion into my life? Because before I was saved, my world was upside down. I was a drunkard, whoremonger, 20 other different things that I'd really just rather not talk about. But in the confusion that that lifestyle created, my understanding that Jesus Christ is my salvation from that confusion Gave me confidence. Trust the confusion. Because the confusion, according to the, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, is for your peace. 
And I am more peaceful today because I know what the confusion looks like and have been delivered from it. Amen? Amen. Number two, the confusion. My pages are all out of line. Number two, my page, my confusion brings me to worship. Your confusion, your deliverance, the promises of God over your life should bring you to a place of worship and praise and thanksgiving. Let me explain, let me show you this in this particular story. In 18, 19, and 21, we read this. Jehoshaphat, after hearing this declaration, Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping him. Did y'all catch that? The Levites from the sons of Kohathite and the sons of Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a very loud voice. Now those folks are of the Levites. They were the praise and worship team of the Levites, which is about the easiest way I can say it. And then in 21, when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in holy attire, that is in priestly garment, and they went out before the army and said, Give thanks to the Lord, for your loving kindness is everlasting. Let's talk about these three things. What the difference is between worship, praise, and why we offer thanksgiving. Even when the confusing thing is still happening. Worship. We use these two words interchangeably. All right, we're going to do praise and worship today. We might do praise and worship at the same time or back to back, but we can't do them at the same time. Worship is an acknowledgement of who God is by his very nature. I worship you because you are almighty. I worship you because of who you are. I praise you is a declaration of what you have done. Everybody all right? I praise God because I am healthy. I praise God because he has watched over my family. I praise God because he takes care of my finances. I praise God for you. But I worship God for who he is. That's good. The biggest problem, not the biggest problem, one of the problems with the church is that we've grown arrogant and irreverent. Because we've decided that we shouldn't take the right posture. If we would fix our posture when discussing and proclaiming God, we'd get our reverence back. And when we got our reverence back, we'd get our focus back. And when we get our focus back, we'd understand how big the God is that we serve. But the problem is, we don't praise or worship anymore. We just come to church, we sing some songs, fill that 15 minutes of space, and then sit down so you can hear me talk. We got to start getting down on our face. We have to start getting up, standing up, and doing a little dance. I'll be over here with my 1980s back and forth at the high school spring dance. Be all, God is good. God is taking care of my family. But there's sometimes, too, that I need to get down over there on the carpet and weep for the love He has for me. 
for the sacrifice he made for me. For the very nature of who he is. And then in all of those things, be thankful. Listen to this. It says, he gave them instruction, then gave thanks to the Lord. For his loving kindness is everlasting. You know what blows my mind about this? Glad you asked. The fight hadn't even been fought yet. Victory hadn't been had yet. They're thanking God for a victory they haven't had yet. We should be thankful to God as we praise and worship him for the victory we're hoping for because we have faith to believe that because we've asked for it in faith, he'll deliver it. That's what the word of God says, right? And so if it says that anything we ask according to your will, you hear us, and because you hear us, we have what we've asked for, then why wouldn't I give thanks before I even see it? I should give thanks before I even see it. I wonder how many of us have our blessings locked behind a door because we have yet to be thankful enough or faithful enough to give thanks to God before we see it. Right? Praise, worship, and be thankful. That's what my confusion teaches me. But confusion also brings victory. If you'll continue down, verses 20 through 24, I'm sorry, 22 through 24, when they began singing and praising, the Lord set ambushes against the son of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. He set ambushes against these three great armies who had come against Judah. So they were routed, essentially run off and destroyed. For the sons of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir. So this is what God caused to happen. He caused two of the lesser armies to raise up against the bigger army. And then the two lesser armies, and when they had finished with the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. He sowed discord within all three of these armies so that as he promised at the very beginning of this story, this fight is not yours, it belongs to the Lord. They didn't have to pick up a single sword because God is faithful. God created confusion in the hearts of the enemy to bring victory to his people. People say, man, God doesn't bring confusion. He does. He brought confusion to this army for his own people. He sent a storm to Jonah to bring Jonah to a place of obedience. so that there might be peace. Amen? I'm okay with confusion when I know the Romans 8.28 promise is true and that ultimately it'll be worked out for my good that I might have peace. And so can you. But you know what? That's not the only thing God did. God used the confusion to bring provision. In verse 25, when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found much among them, 
Now you got to understand, they're going down into this valley. Everybody's dead. And they're probably freaking out. They're all like, look at this. Y'all look at this. People all over the place. And they found much among them, including goods, garments, valuable things, which they took for themselves more than they could carry. The spoils of war, a war they didn't fight. And they were three days taking the spoil because there was so much. Man, you don't think God could take care of you? This thing that started out as confusion, this confusion that God created to allow the enemy to destroy itself, brought provision. And not just provision, abundant provision to his people. Why do I talk about this today? Because we need to understand when we're fighting this fight in our head that the thing that seems so confusing to us, so awry to us, God has his hand planted deeply and firmly into. Yep. That he does truly hold us in his righteous right hand. That he has not forsaken you. He has not forgotten you. He is the God of the universe. He has your name written in the palm of his hand. He knows the numbers of hairs on your head. He knew you and your purpose and your calling before you were even born. He knows how many days you'd have before you lived the very first one. There's no confusion in him. And because there's no confusion in him, my prayer is there'd be no confusion in us. Amen? Amen. If you're struggling... And you're fighting the confusion in your own head. Asking God those questions. Why is it like this? Why am I dealing with this? Why has this happened? I can't answer those questions for you except to say, God will work them out in the end for your good. But you know what you need more than me to say that? You need the peace of the Spirit of God over your life. If that's you, could you stand so I could pray for you? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Can I tell you, me too. I standing before y'all stood. Me too. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Father God, in Jesus' name, we love you. God, as I look around this room, I've had conversations with people in this that are standing. And I know what they're dealing with. I ask God that you be their strong tower. That you give them or cause them to recognize that they have the ability to run to you. That you watch over them. God, there's some people standing. I don't know what they're dealing with. And I know that in your sovereignty, your wisdom, your eternal experience, Lord, you know exactly what they're dealing with and exactly how to solve that issue. I ask that you do. God, we praise you. We thank you. I ask that a supernatural peace rest upon them, a peace that is beyond their own comprehension. 
and then according to your word, guard that peace in Christ Jesus. God, I praise you. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.